What's up, Hoop Ball Nation? It's Brandon Marcus from the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. We're chatting about an exciting time in Clipperland with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George looking to lead the team to an NBA title. Tune in to hear guests ranging from TV voice Brian Seaman and radio voice Noah Eagle to various beat writers and team bloggers. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Hoop Ball Clips and follow me at BD Marcus. Looking forward to having you tune in. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, one. Good morning, all. It's Fantasy NBA Today, a Hoop Ball presentation. I am your host, Dan Vespers, and thank you, as always, for tuning in. And starting off your week with us here at hoop-ball.com. We are, for those of you that haven't been listening recently, working our way through the teams, all of them, 22, that are part of this resumption of the NBA campaign with the goal here of getting ourselves involved in an eight-game roto or points league sprint and preparing ourselves to draft for it, because at this point, we're expecting that anybody in these leagues is going to be redrafting their teams. And basically, what's been going on is we've been looking at most motivational angles with these ball clubs, in addition to who's there, who's not. Because as we've sort of said before, and you know, if you've been listening, you've heard this a thousand times already, we already know what guys are going to do when they're on the floor. Our goal with this resumption is to find out how much they're going to be on the floor, meaning if they're going to be out there. So it brings a lot of stuff into question related to what teams are going to give up early or what teams can actually shut guys down a little bit early or what guys can go into rest mode a little bit early. And that's what we've been working on here of late. I am Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I want to remind everybody again that the Hoopball Facebook and Instagram pages, which had been relatively dormant for a couple of years. The great Lyle Swithenbank helped get the Facebook page back up and alive a few months back. You can catch him on a live show every Saturday, taking questions. That'll obviously be more uh, tied into fantasy stuff when there's games going on. But right now, he's just talking about all sorts of good things. Uh, that is baseball, or excuse me, that is facebook.com slash hoopballhoops. Hoopballhoops on Facebook. And on Instagram, it's hoopballofficial. So uh, maybe we'd like to get those things in in line. But for now, that's where it's at. Instagram, again, is HoopBallOfficial. Both of those pages have a fun little debate going on between two hypothetical all-star style rosters. Go check those out. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of a recruiting pitch. You've heard that before. We are recruiting for our sales, our gambling, and our DFS team. So hit me up if you want to be a part of any of those things. Again, that's at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. We try to get back to you guys on the email within about a day. Twitter, I can usually get back a little bit faster than that since uh, I'm looking at it as just keeping tabs on news. In terms of news, there hasn't been much, honestly. Over the weekend, uh, James Johnson rumored to uh, likely to opt in with the Wolves since that team is now officially into their offseason. You're getting little bits of notes from those types of clubs. Uh, we already talked about Vince Carter last week, and then the news of this morning. I mean, we're we're you know we're getting little tidbits about guys that no one's heard of, like the Cavs converting a two-way contract of Dean Wade. I, I don't I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on that on the podcast. 
Rather, uh, you know, in terms of a guy that might maybe might see the floor, I I don't I don't fully know if he will, but it sounds like J.R. Smith is about ready to become a Laker first thing this morning. So the memes are out. Expectations, at least among those that follow the Lakers closely, is that Alex Caruso is going to be picking up a lot of those minutes that would have gone to Avery Bradley, but J.R. Smith is now expected to be a Laker and kind of an insurance policy should the need arise. Shout out to uh, everybody that's been grinding here over the last few months. We're coming down the chute, and the last thing I'll say before we dive into a little bit of fantasy stuff is countdown time. Countdown time, baby, because this Thursday, July the 2nd, is four weeks away from the NBA coming back. So you can do the math from there. Four weeks and three days. We are 30 one days from a basketball game that counts for something. There's less than that until you get to some uh, scrimmage tune-up games. But listen, I know I've said I pretty much watch anything. A tune-up scrimmage basketball game is probably not something I'm going to do. Probably not. We may get baseball before that. I'm going to continue to hold my breath and cross my fingers on that one. But July, really, and I'm, and we're close, man. July's two days away. That's the month that we've all been kind of eyeballing for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, trying to sort of just do whatever we can to get to that point because March 11th is when we lost basketball. And it has been a long damn time since March 11th. How many weeks is that? I've actually lost track. Here, maybe we can even count it out on the podcast. That's fun, right? Five, six, seven, eight weeks to get to May even. 9, 10, 11, 12 into June. What are we at? 13, 14, 15. We're at 15 and a half weeks. We've been without uh, really major sports of any kind, effectively, and some measure of lockdown slash isolation slash whatever started on the 19th. Sounds like bars are closing back down. I didn't even know they had opened, which seemed... Why would bars open in a pandemic? That seems like the worst idea ever. Anyway, it back and forth we go. I know, the news is tough these days, but you got to stay tuned to it to find out what's going on in the world and uh, what we can even do, if anything. I'm just staying home as long as possible. You know what? I'm going to give you guys a message of hope here before we dive into the fantasy stuff. And it's on the COVID front, which I haven't talked about a ton on this podcast since pretty early on in the shutdown. I didn't feel like it was necessary to do something on it every single day. When there was news that broke, we talked about it. And certainly referencing the pandemic in the context of whether or not these major sports can actually get back and play. Yeah, we're going to talk about it and we're going to and we're going to go into some detail on it, maybe a bit more than tangentially. Uh but in terms of a message of optimism here, there, there's a lot of really bad stuff going on, and a lot of places are in legitimate trouble right now. But one thing that I would note is that, in all likelihood, there is some kind of endpoint to that to this. And I know that this is going to sound foolishly optimistic. I'm not telling you guys that it's right around the corner. It's still many months away. Uh, by all accounts, the earliest estimate on any kind of actual vaccine would be the end of this year. Hopefully, they continue to find little treatment options. I think there's been two breakthroughs in treatment. Uh, there was the remdesivir stuff, and then there was the corticosteroids that they've talked about lately, which I think most hospitals were, according to 
doctor wife over here. Most hospitals were probably using anyway, because that's just what you do uh, within uh, an autoimmune issue going on in your lungs as a result of a disease. But regardless, little things like that continue to surface. There's a lot of tests going on, a lot of trials running. So presumably we should be getting better at treating it. I guess my my point here is there's there's so much defeatism that I think it actually lends itself to people saying, well, if we're all screwed, comma, screw it anyway. And that's what you've seen a lot of folks that are just gathering in groups like like total boners here. We got to stay safe, people. We got to stay safe. We got to wear the masks. We got to keep our distance. Don't go to group hangouts at houses, at parks, whatever. Don't do it. This isn't forever. You don't have to make this sacrifice permanently to get to the end of the line here. And I think maybe that's part of what there's there's sort of like, I think it's doom fatigue, basically, where everybody's like, oh my God, if we're all screwed, then I'm just going to go get myself a damn cupcake and I'm going to go stand in line and whatever. If I see somebody, I see somebody. I don't think we have to treat it that way. So my message of hope for you guys on this podcast is also a request. Please continue to stay safe. Don't give up on this thing. Don't have fatigue on keeping yourself and your fellow humans safe. It is not, it's not forever. I don't like to do this whole the media thing because that seems to put me on a side of a a coin that I don't usually agree with, but I do think that there's way too much doom and gloom and it really crushes spirits and it's hard to get people to do what you're asking them to when they're getting told they're everyone's gonna die i mean this is really bad don't get me wrong this is horrible everything is a disaster right now but there there is an end of the line so try to hold it together that's my message of hope and request here to start the show on Friday's program, we got through uh, the Sixers, meaning we sort of finished off the upper portion of the Eastern Conference. And so now we move into a weird new area. <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. A weird new area of the teams that, well, in a normal year, should be fighting for a playoff spot. In the Western Conference, uh, based on kind of what what they were able to do, I mean, look, the Magic were a game over 500 against the Eastern Conference. They were six under against the West. If you flip-flop and put that team in the Western Conference, they're down there probably with the Kings, Spurs, Suns, somewhere in that neck of the woods. But that's not how it is. If you're in the Eastern Conference, you do get a little bit of an advantage. You get to play some truly horrible teams at the bottom. The Western Conference only really had two really bad teams, and the Eastern Conference had five Six, you could even argue seven. The Wizards are not good. I know that they're in this bubble five and a half games out, but a lot of that's because the eighth seed is not a good team either. Listen, the Grizzlies aren't a great basketball club. I get it. You know, they're 32 and 33. They're a game under 500, but the Magic are five games under 500. And the next team is 16 games under 500. For goodness sake. I don't know how we're going to fix this. We may never fix this. So just get over it, Dan, is what you should say here. Let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets to get things rolling here on today's podcast. The Brooklyn Nets, 30 and 34 during the regular season, 22 and a half games back of the Bucks. They were 5 and 5 in their final 10 to finish things up. Uh, went 20 and 21 within the Eastern Conference, so they were effectively a 500 team against the other clubs around them. 
12 and 20 on the road, 18 and 14 at home. You can wipe that out because we're at a neutral venue. They are without their two superstars going into this resumption period, which is pretty much the way they played their entire season. And so we look at them and we say, these young guys, I think, are going to want to be a part of this. Also, Wilson Chandler opted out. I think that may have even come over the weekend, so maybe that counts as, as recent news. I don't, I don't know. But regardless, that gives us uh, one a little bit of extra information on the Nets. Not that he was doing a ton during the regular season either, but it does open up just a little, a wee, a touch more. Chandler played about 21 minutes a game during the 35 games he played in. So you take Kyrie Irving off the shelf, you take Wilson Chandler off the shelf, and what are you left with? Well, you've got two big men in DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen that are going to be locked in their same typical fight, but we'll break that down in a minute. You've got Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert as sort of the young scoring types that are going to be in charge of this deal. You've got Torian Prince, who couldn't throw a stone in the ocean this year, but should play quite a lot, especially with no Wilson Chandler. That is a guy that could have been coming for his minutes a little bit. You've got Garrett Temple, who actually played a lot of basketball this year to the tune of a top 177 season, but he'll probably get some minutes. And then you've got Joe Harris, who is your quiet three-point guy who really doesn't do anything else. Let's start with the big men. During the regular season, Jared Allen was the starter for most of the year, but it did flip-flop towards the end of the regular season when DeAndre Jordan overtook him and became the starter down the stretch. Now, there were rumblings that the veterans in Brooklyn were not happy with the fact that DeAndre Jordan was coming off the bench. Kenny Atkinson was fired, possibly in some part, due to the way he was handling his veteran DeAndre Jordan. You know, they said that the veterans didn't really like the way he was running the offense, blah, blah, blah. You can you can call it whatever you want. But a guy that really helped this team turn a corner and rebuild and then draw superstars ends up getting axed because... Superstars that weren't even playing weren't super happy with him. I, I, I don't know. I don't like the way that whole thing went down, but it doesn't really matter. What's done is done. Atkinson was fired with about half a week to go in the regular season after, after he had already switched and moved DeAndre Jordan into the starting lineup. It wasn't long, mind you. It, it was only a few games that DeAndre was was shuffled into the starting five. In fact, I think it was right at the time he got fired. It might have been the same day. Was it the same day? No, you know, maybe it was the day after. In any event, the Nets brass spoke. Kenny Atkinson was like, oh, DeAndre Jordan played 29 minutes the very next game, had 11 points, 15 boards, and three blocks. Okay. In that game, the Brooklyn Nets' three-point win over the hapless Chicago Bulls on March the 8th, the other starters were Joe Harris, Wilson Chandler, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Karis LeVert, with Torian Prince coming off the bench to back up kind of the combination of Harris and Wilson Chandler. But no Wilson Chandler, as we just talked about, so presumably that moves Prince back into the starting five. Of those starting five, first of all, if that's your starting five, and if Jared Allen is coming off the bench and playing 19 minutes, that really changes the complexion for both of those guys. I find it somewhat difficult to believe 
that they'll ramp things up and it'll be a 29-19 split in favor of DeAndre Jordan. But if you're starting, you have a leg up. Jordan was number 124 this year in only 22 minutes per game. If he comes back out and plays 25, 26, 27, that should be enough to get him inside the top 100. And I feel the need to stop once again and remind everybody that when I say top 100, I mean top 100 if there were 30 teams playing. He would be well inside that mark with eight teams missing. And in fact, even in 22 minutes, by the math, he would actually be inside the top 100 with only 22 teams going. So let's just get through these numbers and then I'll make the adjustments towards the end because it's a pain in the butt to do it after every player. DeAndre Jordan, for me, is in. I would draft him for this resumption period. I don't have a clue where he's going to go. I can't imagine it's going to be all that high, but presumably, if he's playing 24, 25 minutes, he should be probably in the 90s. 80s or 90s, I would think. The question is how much he wants it. Because there's no Kyrie, there's no Kevin Durant. There was, I think, a chance, at least, when they made the switch and moved DeAndre into the starting lineup, he'd be like, okay, I'm going to get to play with Kyrie, we're going to make whatever little push we've got. I don't know if he's going to have the gusto at this point to play ultra hard, but it is worth noting that right now the Nets get the Raptors in the first round, and if they fall a half game back and behind the Magic, they get the Bucks. It's a little different. You got Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez coming down your throat with the best well-oiled machine in the NBA versus Toronto, who's very, very good. They're a good basketball team, but I don't think they quite scare you like the Bucks. And plus, look, I don't think the Wizards are going to make any kind of charge and getting within three games of these teams, but there's going to be that little thing in the back of their minds. You can't lose four or five games in a row to start this resumption period, or you actually could get stuck in a play-in game. So DeAndre Jordan is in, and I'm not sure that he might not be the only one. I think I'm going to amend that with one other name. And I think it's a name that I've, well, clobbered for a really long time, and that's Karis LeVert. Because, let's be honest, guys, he's deserved it. Karis LeVert has been terrible for a long time. Okay, terrible's not fair. It's going to draw the ire of the LeVert fan nation. He hasn't been terrible from a reality standpoint. He's been terrible from a fantasy standpoint. Because his percentages are garbage. 43% from the field, 71% at the free throw line for a guard. That's just not going to get it done for a guard who's not even taking three-pointers. He took a few more this year, got up to 1.8 at a better clip. But if you're going to be a bad field goal percent guy, you better be knocking down three balls. Those things have to counterbalance each other, and he wasn't. This year, at least, he counterbalanced the awful field goal percent, which, by the way, is 41.5 this season with almost two three-pointers a game. What I like about Karis LeVert, forget for for a minute that here on this podcast for three and a half years, we've told you guys, please stop buying in on this nonsense. And we've saved you a wasted roster spot for three and a half years. Now is the time to pounce. Because I don't, don't, listen, the NBA has been gone for a long time now. I don't know how many people are going to remember the last two weeks that Levert put together prior to the shutdown. Because for the entire season, he was number 182 in 30 minutes a game. He averaged 18 points, 
four boards, four assists, bad percentages, on one and one steal. But the last two weeks, the last two weeks of the regular season, Karis LeVert was good. Like, real good. Like, top 40 good. He averaged 24 points, five boards, five and a half assists, 1.6 steals. Percentages were still not good, but they were a tiny bit better. 43 from the field, 74 at the free throw line. Turnovers he kept in check, and he had almost three three-pointers a game. Listen, I don't I don't know that anyone else on this team is really going to be taking that usage away from him. Spencer Dinwiddie is the other guy you'd look and say, okay, he's going to demand the basketball sometimes. But when only those two guys are trying to do stuff and they've moved Chuck Artis, Torian Prince to the bench, Lavert's going to take a ton of shots. A ton. And even if the percentages are horrible, which they could be, to me, he's in a position here where the usage should be so extraordinarily high that he can overcome the deficits. I don't know if that same thing can be said for Spencer Dinwiddie, even though he might actually draw more attention on resumption draft day because he's going to be the guy that gets assists on this team. He averaged eight assists a game over the last couple of months, and for the season, Dinwiddie was actually at seven assists. So he's going to get them. But his field goal percent is even worse. Notable black hole at the field goal percent spot. He can score, he can get assists, and he can get you some three-pointers, but he will anchor you in other stuff. And I'm not talking about the last guy on the team. You know, you're a bowling team, you got the anchor. I'm talking about, like, dropping an anchor and sinking you to the bottom. It's really more like a busted ship than anything else. I get my metaphors right here. Uh, so I'm not really in on the Spencer Dinwiddie thing. He finished at number 155, despite having the reins at point guard for almost the entire season. It's hard to average 20 points and 7 assists and still not break the top 100. It's really hard to do it and not break the top 150. And it's weird, I get it, because Levert was actually 30 slots behind Dinwiddie during the regular season while playing a fairly normal allotment of minutes. But one of the things we've seen with Levert uh, is that he really just hasn't been healthy. And maybe that's what we're starting to see here towards the end of this regular season, is that he was beginning to feel like himself, which I will say, you know, I don't, I don't want to have this revisionist history thing. Karis LeVert looked really good for about a month to start, not this season, but last season. Remember how good he looked before that weird, like, rubber leg injury that busted him up for three months? He looked pretty good to start last season. He was averaging some 20-odd points per game, good rebounding assist numbers, had a pretty good steal thing going, percentages were good. And then he came back from that injury in February, and, and obviously he wasn't the same. I mean, he had, what, two, three games? He broke 20 points the rest of the way. He was pretty good in the postseason last year, oddly enough, when they lost to Philadelphia. So I think one of the things we're seeing here is that really about, about a year frankly, removed from when he came back from that last ugly injury, he started to get better, and then got hurt again this year and missed most of November, all of December, and came back in January, and it took him about a month and a half to start, well, looking like himself again. So I think in February, if you just look at February and March with Karis LeVert, you've got a really interesting fantasy player who has almost nothing standing in his way on that team, 
and finally, I think, is ready to fulfill some of the potential that folks have been selling you on for a long time. I think this is a really this is a really cool moment for us here on Fantasy NBA Today because we've we've stayed away, we've stayed away, we've stayed away, we've dodged bullet after bullet after bullet with this one. And now I think we have an opportunity to dive in there and grab it right at the key moment. How many how many times are you gonna get to redraft with eight games left in the season? I'm not uh I'm not too excited about Joe Harris, although I realize that as basically the third scoring option on this team. He's probably going to get 14, 15 points a game. And you know, that strikes me as sort of the plodding type. He'd probably be in the, I mean, he was right where he was this year, 140. Oh, you take 27% of the teams out of that and it gets him close to the top 100, more like top 110. So not super exciting on that front. Dinwiddie might also be in that neck of the woods. I mean, I'd certainly take a chance on him before taking a chance on one of these uh, slow ambling types. Same deal with Jared Allen. You know, he was number 95 for the full season, but as his role diminished, so too did his fantasy value. Last two weeks of the regular season, he was outside the top 220. He might get drafted before DeAndre Jordan. I really don't know what people remember from the last couple weeks before the NBA closed down. This may be our biggest advantage of all. Karis LeVert, should be drafted during this resumption season. DeAndre Jordan, I believe, should be drafted during this resumption season. I think they're going to show off their wares here and give the old man some minutes. Spencer Dinwiddie, I think you take as a late-round guy. Maybe you dump him in there if you have to, knowing that the percentages will hurt you. But listen, small sample size. There's a chance he comes out, has two really good shooting games, and then it all works out. Because it's weird. When... You guys know how much I love percentages. It's really hard to put all your eggs in those baskets here in an eight-game sprint. Good shooters could have a bad two weeks. Bad shooters could have a good two weeks. It doesn't have the length of the year to even out the way the large number, the law of large numbers, will allow it to do so during an entire regular season. So uh, someone like a Spencer Dinwiddie, who normally we're pretty against on this podcast, you give him a little bit more of a look. So I think we'll put him on the list of guys that should be drafted as well. Uh, and then you can just hope for a better shooting stretch. Otherwise, I don't think I'm in. I don't think Garen Temple, I know if he happens to have a good two weeks, he could play enough to be worthwhile. But we see him flitter in and out of being fantasy relevant. Joe Harris is not exciting enough. And then Jared Allen, who ha- seemingly was going to be the guy, he's, he's probably on his way out. So what's the point of having him tucked behind DeAndre Jordan the next three years? I had a lot to say on Brooklyn, as you guys probably just noticed. The other team right on the bubble in the Eastern Conference is the Orlando Magic. And there's only one team in the East that's actually getting in that's not already in the playoffs, and that's the Washington Wizards. So let's see if we can knock both of those out and uh, finish up our league tour de force here today. Uh, Turn things over to what I hope will be a mailbag show tomorrow. Hey, before we talk about the Orlando Magic, I want to remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by our buddies over at Manscaped.com. Don't tune me out. Please don't tune me out. Please don't fast forward right now. As I've mentioned before, this is a huge, colossal, monumental deal for us here at HoopBall. And frankly, for the podcast network of HoopBall, if you want to pare it down. 
because we've worked with the good folks over at mybookie.ag in the past, and that was a great partnership. But here's the thing. A lot of folks out there are skeptical of offshore betting sites. It's just a different kind of company. This is a really big deal for us for a number of reasons. Let me tell you guys why. First, we want this to be the most successful campaign that Manscaped has ever seen. This is a big deal because if this goes well for us here at Fantasy NBA Today, it's an opportunity, number one, make a long-term partner with Manscaped, and number two, gives us a certain credibility that we didn't have before to say, look, we had a great partnership with a reputable nationwide company that works with a lot of different shows and platforms, and that's the type of thing we can bring to other places that all of that together allows us to do more things for you guys. If we have great partnerships with our advertisers, if we have great relationships, that allows us to grow HoopBall, to offer more tools. Don't you guys want tools? Well, we got to get them. We got to expand to that point. Don't you guys want more pods, more DFS, more betting? All of this stuff comes as we continue to grow. And with your help, we can get there. I never ask guests to do anything on this podcast, but please go check out manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code HOOPBALL20. The promo code is HOOPBALL20 for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Check out the Lawnmower 3.0 with its built-in LED light that can illuminate the areas you're shaving. It's brilliant. I don't know why we haven't done this before. Please, please, I'm on bended knee. We need you guys. Let me know if you do it, by the way. I can keep tabs on uh, who my favorite people are. Okay, the Orlando Magic. 30 and 35, half game back of the Nets. Unlucky Magic had to play one extra game during the regular season. Uh, one game over 500 within the Eastern Conference. Not great at home, not all that great on the road. Six and four in their last 10. Badly missing Jonathan Isaac, who is traveling with the team, but we haven't heard anything on whether or not he's actually going to play. So I think for our purposes, we're going to assume he's not. Because he certainly can't spend the type of price that it would take to get that dude if he was actually just going to end up sitting things out. What I like to do with teams like this, where you don't know about one particular piece, is you want to look and see what they were doing right before the shutdown. And for the Magic, things didn't change all that much over the last little bit, there was an injury to DJ Augustine that opened things up in the backcourt. And oddly enough, it wasn't really Markel Fultz that power boosted his fantasy game. It was more Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross that took big steps forward. Over the final 20 games prior to the shutdown, which takes you back to January, Nick Vucevic was his usual plotting self. 20 points, 10, 11 boards, 4 assists, about a steal, about a block, about a three-pointer. Decent percentages, just does a lot of good things. Easy. He was number 23 over that stretch. He's always going to be right around uh, the top 20. If he has an okay season, he got as high as right near the turn last year on a really good season. He's a very safe, useful fantasy pick. If you want to take him mid-second round, I see no problem with that at all. The next highest-ranked player on the team during the regular season was Evan Fournier, who finished at number 68 and was actually just, frankly, consistent and good all year long. Over their last 20 games, he was number 70. For the season, he was 68. I mean, you got exactly what you were getting. His percentages were better this year. He took about 14 shots a game. 
Averaged 19 points, two and a half threes, three assists, a steal. I don't see any reason why that should change substantially here, but you just wipe out 20, 27% of the other teams and you get something of what he might look like. What was that? About top 50-ish if you take out eight teams worth of players in front of him. He goes from 68 to 50. I doubt Evan Fournier is getting drafted near 50 during the resumption campaign. He could be a very safe pick in the probably late 6th, early 7th round. Why not, right? So let's talk about the guys where there's a little bit more of a question mark hanging over their heads. First, Markel Fultz, who played in 64 games this year. And by all accounts, from a personal standpoint, this was a really big win for Fultz this year. He made it through the season healthy. He averaged 12 points, 5 assists, uh, 1.3 steals. 47% from the field, not good at the foul line, not surprisingly there, given we've seen the weird uh, mental hitch at the free throw line. Doesn't shoot the three-pointer, so that's always going to hold him back. I called him Alfred Payton light during the regular season, and I I see no reason why that wouldn't be the case here going forward. It doesn't really matter who starts on this team between Fultz and Augustine. Neither one of them is going to be a fantasy player. Sorry, guys need to be out for those any of those two guys to make headway. So, no. Great work this year, Markel Fultz. Really nice story. I think we can all root for it, but he's not a fantasy asset yet. Terrence Ross finished the regular season at number 103 somehow after having some really bad weeks and some really good ones. He is the epitome. He's like new C.J. Miles out there, just blazing hot for five games and then completely vanishes for the next five. And you can try to get cute. And see if you can catch lightning in a bottle with Ross and, and get him in your in your lineup on the games when he's when he's hot. It's hard, man. He's got to be a set it and forget it kind of dude. And you just you just have to hope that you don't accidentally leave him on the bench for one of the games where he's playing well. Ross actually went into the break playing arguably his best basketball of the season. He was on a stretch of hitting four, four, eight, two, four, and five three pointers. Uh, actually a seven if you go back one game farther, his last seven basketball games, scored in double digits in, I believe, his last 10 games in a row. And that helped push his value from more that 125 range to more like the top 100. Um, He's a, he's a relatively safe plotting pick to have towards the end. He's going to have a bad field goal percent. Uh, He's going to take his probably 12, 13 shots over the course of a game. He's going to average about 15, 16 points. He's not going to do a ton in the rebounding and assist departments. You have to hope he gets you about 1.2 steals and gets to the free throw line because he's a good foul shooter. He is, during the regular season, a prototypical late-round producer that you can just slot into your you know ninth, 10th starter and forget about. During a resumption campaign, those same guys actually become pretty darn useful and end up being more like your seventh best producer. So yes... I think Terrence Ross could actually be a decent value. And this reminds me of what we talked about during our breakdown of Orlando a few weeks ago. I think this is going to be a team that has a lot of sneaky fantasy value next year also. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because... Does anybody watch Magic Games? I'm guessing the answer is no, because Vooch gets underdrafted. Fournier got underdrafted. Ross... Always gets underdrafted. Jonathan Isaac was, I don't know, he went from being hypey to post-hypey and then getting hurt. He was going to be a really cool story this year. Uh, The only guy on the Magic, 
and this loops us around to our last name on this chart, the only guy on the Magic that consistently got overdrafted for years now was Aaron Gordon. He finished this season at number 126, played in 58 games, averaged 14.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, almost 4 assists, a steal, a 3-pointer, and a half a block on miserable percentages. Continued to get drafted way too soon. And then, quietly, while nobody was watching, had a brilliant final month. I don't think anybody saw. But over the last month... Aaron Gordon averaged 15, 9, and 7. Where the crap did that come from? Over a steal, over a block, a three-pointer. Still not great percentages. But the fact that he only hit one three-pointer was, to me, a really good sign. Stop chucking, Aaron. You're a 32% career three-point shooter. Take it to the rim. For goodness sake, man. With your athleticism, you should not be a career 44% guy from the field. But here we are. So he changed his shot profile a little bit. That was big move for Aaron number one. He rebounded harder. That was big move for Aaron number two. He'd never averaged more than 7.9 rebounds in a season in his career. And over that last month, he was at nine. Is that sustainable? I don't know. And... 6.8 assists per game over that stretch. That was not... Listen, okay, 7 assists a game was a little bit fluky. But this is a guy who, for his career, has averaged 2.4 assists per game. The last two years, he's been up at 3.7 each of those two seasons. But it's worth noting, something did change fundamentally in how the Magic played and how Aaron Gordon played. He made a conscious effort to become a distributor. You can go back even farther. The last two months of the regular season, Aaron Gordon was averaging over five assists per game. So something changed. I don't know if we want to say it clicked, but there was a difference. It was not a, oh, here's a couple of games where Gordon just did something a little bit better. It was the magic changed the way they were playing. And if you're like, well, were there key absences during some of those games? Like, What about the game where Aaron Gordon had a triple-double against Minnesota? Was somebody out that game? The answer is no. The answer is no. Aaron Gordon played 41 minutes in that win over Minnesota. Vooch was in. Fournier was in. Ross was in. Jonathan Isaac's been out for half a year, so can't call that the change. Vooch had 27-10-5. He did his normal stuff. Fultz had seven assists. I know, Minnesota's a horrible defensive team, so yeah, everybody had a little bit of inflated stuff. But Gordon came back two games later with nine assists against Miami. Same thing. Augustine played as a backup. Fultz had six assists. Vooch had seven. Gordon had nine. The Magic started moving the ball better towards the end of the year, and Gordon was a big reason why. This takes us to the question on Aaron Gordon. This takes us to the question. Because for so long now, we've seen him get overdrafted. He was taken uh, at, at in the 60s in some of the drafts I've been a part of. The 60s, guys. This is Aaron Gordon we're talking about here. His ADP was right around 60. So who? what are the people 
who ended up with him going to think about him. He finished at 83. Uh, excuse me. Finished at 83 of those last two months. For the season, he was at 126. So if you drafted him, the question is, what kind of taste did he leave in those people's mouths? Are they going to look back and see 126? I'm thinking the only people that really noticed the change were the people that got stuck with him. Who were like, yes, it finally worked. Well, yeah, I mean, it worked for a month and a half. He still didn't break the top 125 for the entire season. So if you drafted him, I wouldn't be celebrating. But you also put yourself in a unique spot as one of the few non-insane diehards that probably saw Aaron Gordon getting better. Most of the fantasy landscape, most of the basketball landscape, wasn't watching Magic games in February and beginning of March. But we were. And so for that reason, I don't know where he's going to go. What I do know is that he was a top 35 guy over the last month that teams were playing from early February to early March. And he was inside the top 85 for the final two months. If he's still getting drafted at 60... You wipe out a lot of the potential upside there. But we're going to have to wait and see a little bit on this one. Because I, I I like what I was seeing. And I think this may be the first time in the history of Fantasy NBA today that we now switch over and we're on the side of trying to get Aaron Gordon. Go figure. Let's talk about the Wiz. I'm the Wiz. And nobody beats me. 24 and 40. This team is in the bubble. Yeesh. All right, well, we know about Beal. We know that he will find a way to play even when he shouldn't. We also know that things are a little bit weird right now between social activism, COVID, and a Wizards team that has almost no business being in the bubble. Sometimes... Cooler heads will prevail. And I say that because as much as I love Bradley Beal, and as much as I preached early this season, remember when he was taking some games off pretty early in the year and everybody was like, bail out! And I was like, nah, nah, don't bail out. Don't bail out. I think this could still this could still turn. He was really more of a buy than anything else. And sure enough, he played, and he played a ton of minutes, and he scored like crazy. And after a relatively slow start to the season over the last three months this year, he was inside the top six in fantasy. He finished at 31, 4, and 6 with three threes, 1.3 steals. Percentage was a little bit down. Blocks were a little bit down. But listen, he didn't have any help this year. On kind of a fun Wizards team, frankly. But, but, and a big but, might I add, even at the end of last year, when Beal was still insisting on playing in meaningless games, his minutes got shaved in half. And I think that's the one thing we should keep an eye on here. Last season, when the Wizards were officially mathematically eliminated, Beal's minutes dropped from about 36 per game, and then he played 22, 30, 24, and 16 the last four games last year. And I think that's probably what you see here, because the Wizards are in all likelihood going to get eliminated within the first half of this resumption campaign. I don't think they're just going to stop trotting Beal out there. I think they're going to try to. And he's probably going to say, nah, let me play part of this game. I'm here. I'm stuck. It's not like I can just go home now. Can I? 
I guess they could just let him leave. I'm stuck here. Whatever. It's one more week. Let me play a little. But I don't think I can tell you to draft him. It's too hard. What if he only... What if he doesn't? What if he leaves? Davis Bertans isn't coming. And so the top two wizards in fantasy are either A, not there, in the case of Davis, or B, basically the lone veteran on the team that should stop playing partway through. So let's say you don't draft Beal or Bertans. Who the hell is left on this team? Well, you're looking at Thomas Bryant, who finished just outside the top 100 despite a brutal injury-plagued regular season. Rui Hachimura, who finished at 136. Troy Brown Jr. at 146. The combo point guard situation towards the end of the year of Shabazz Napier and Ish Smith. Mo Wagner, who couldn't buy a minute and then missed half the season with a nebulous injury that nobody knew anything about. What are we doing with these guys? Well, I think you have to take a chance on Thomas Bryant here because if this team goes into full shutdown mode, he has a chance to just take a bunch of shots. Who's left, man? Beal took 23 shots a game for the Wizards this year. Bertans took 11 and a half. Rui was the third highest at 11. Those are the only three guys that even got into double digits. Ish Smith was at nine and change. Troy Brown was at eight. Thomas Bryant was at eight. Yeesh. So let's look at the end of the year because there there, there were trade deadline things happening with this team. What were they doing right at the tail end? Well, Shabazz Napier was able to put up some fantasy value as the sometimes backup, sometimes starting point guard with the Wiz. He should probably get a look. Hachimura was around 120 over that stretch. He should probably get a look as well. Ish Smith, his fantasy game, it just doesn't translate. So wipe out all the names we're not interested in. By the way, Bradley Beal was the best player in fantasy over the last, I think, three weeks of the regular season. So, you know, even if he skips two or three games here or plays half of them, if he falls to the end of the first round, I guess you could give a look. I still think I'd rather pass. Too many. There are too many teams that are close enough to play, right? Like, if you get a guy, I'd rather take the guy who's going to be, you know, number 12 and is going to play all eight games than the guy who's number two or three and is only going to play four. If they were closer, if it was like six games versus seven or seven versus eight or something like that, but like Beal really might only play four games. They shouldn't let him play more than that. They might. You might get lucky if you take him, but... If you don't, you're you're cooked. That's your whole that's your chance right there. Early it's what we always say. Early picks can lose you a fantasy league, but they very rarely can win it for you. You just want to stay in the game with your early picks. So Thomas Bryant, Rui Hachimura, and Shabazz Napier are your three wizards that I think you're eyeballing at this point. I see no reason why Rui wouldn't just take a ton of shots. Like, he should get to do stuff. He'll probably do things in the flow of the offense, at least at the beginning. But as they start to to shut bodies down, he's going to get a whole bunch of shots. He's got good percentages, which is kind of his claim to fame. Points, rebounds, and percentages. You You can't expect a whole lot else. But I think he should get drafted for this resumption. Chance for him to make a little bit of noise here. Have some fun especially after they turn everybody loose. Thomas Bryant, a little bit more risky because he was injured this regular season and they may not want to push him as hard. And then Napier, 
who we've seen it before. It takes a lot. Everybody's got to get out of his way. But if everybody gets out of his way, Shabazz Napier will finally take the reins at some point. Let's do a little game log breakdown. You guys know I love a good game log breakdown. It happened a little bit, actually, even with Washington. Remember those last couple of games, Napier got the start and played 38 minutes with Ish Smith out. And he got that actually alongside Bradley Beal. So it didn't take quite as much for him to kind of cut loose on this ball club. He had 27 points in the previous game, also alongside Beal, and also with Ish Smith on the shelf. Now, we don't know what Ish's status is. It seems like he's probably going to be playing here, which is why I say you really need to get people out of Napier's way. But look through the game log and look at the games where he got to 30 minutes. Those are the ones I want us eyeballing here. Because if they do pull the plug on Beal, Napier will easily, I'm talking about Napier here, will easily get to 30 minutes in those games. And when he gets to 30 minutes, he tends to settle in and start doing things. Now, his field goal percent is going to be a wreck. He's 41% uh, this year. And he's sort of a little dude who's not... He gets, he gets to the free throw line. He's not terrible in that regard. But, you know, 40% for his career. That will hurt you. But look, he's never really had the opportunity to post a 30-minute season, which is why when you... When you extrapolate, when you pull those numbers out, he's a high steals guy. He's going to get you some assists. I wouldn't call them a boatload, but, you know, maybe six. If he's playing 30 minutes, five or six. Big steals, some assists. He's going to score because there are other folks around. And so I think he's a guy that we should target. Forget a guy that even lets, lets him fall a little bit. I think Shabazz Napier is a potential target for this part of the season. I, there's a chance he might even be useful before they start to shut down people. Although, I wouldn't guarantee that because, again, I think you imagine at the beginning of this resumption, at least, he'll be splitting some of his minutes with Ish, even if Shabazz is getting the start and he's at, what, 26, 27. It's close to enough. I mean, he's, he's fantasy relevant in that amount of time. But, boy, if Beal's done after three or four games... Then it's go time. And so Napier's a guy I think that could slide under the radar just a little bit here that we're going to want to be targeting. And that's it, guys. That's it. That's all 22 teams that are headed back into the bubble. 31 days and counting. 31 days and counting. Oh, boy. Let's do a mailbag show. Let's do a mailbag show. Hopefully tomorrow. Oh, by the way, Jordan Bell agreed to a two-year deal with the Cavs while we were finishing up the podcast right now. And who cares? We'll talk about that uh, in November, maybe. But also maybe not. I am at Dan Bespris, manscaped.com. Please go get something with HoopBall20 as your promo code. 20% off free shipping. Make that a winner for us. We need you. We need you. Rate and review the pod as well if you haven't already. If you have, do it on your buddy's phone. Uh, even though you can't see anybody right now. So, you know, maybe your, maybe your mom or your grandma moved in. Do it on their phone. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy your Monday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.